1: Oh, we've got some inquiring minds, and we want to know who the greatest NFL players were that wore the jersey number 42. And we go on to search with our guest, Joe Ziemba, author and podcast host of When Football Was Football, coming up in just a moment.
2: This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of America's football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from the Big Pen on America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So, with Mike and Gene Monroe as well as Jason supply and the great tunes. Let's go no huddle through some stories of America's football history. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.
1: Hello, my football friends. This is Dare Hayes of pigskindispatch.com and welcome once again to the Pigpen for a special bonus edition of the Football by Numbers. And tonight we have Joe Ziemba here to join us for the number 42 jersey numbers, the greatest of all time. We're going to try to come up with a top 10 list of number 42s and let's bring Joe in right now. Joe, welcome back to the Pigpen.
3: Aaron, thank you and uh, good day. I hope we have another exciting report from you, of course, on some of these great, great players who wore that number. Uh, some wore for over a decade, some wore it for a couple of years, but there's a lot of interesting facts, maybe some fiction about some of these players today.
1: Well, we're looking forward to those stories. You know, that's what uh, we really look forward to when you come on here with us. So that's a great pleasure. Well, we'll start off where we normally do. And we talk about the Pro Football Hall of Fame has told us that they have six players that were the number 42 that are enshrined in Canton, Ohio. And they are Ronnie Lott, Johnny Robinson, Paul Warfield, Charlie Taylor, Sig Luckman, and Leo Nomolini. I hope I said that name right. If anybody's families out there, uh, hopefully we didn't dishonor that name. Uh, So why don't we uh, start off with uh, Leo Nomolini? Leo would be a
3: great one to start out with. We haven't talked a lot about linemen lately, and he was an all-pro at both offensive and defensive tackle, but some interesting things about his career. I bet he's the only player we talk about tonight that was actually born in Italy. And hmm. so he came over to the US and here's our first trivia of the day. He went to Crane Tech High School on the west side of Chicago. Any idea what other NFL legend
1: went to Crane Tech? Crane Tech, Crane, crane like tech. the crane like the machine that picks up things, Is that kind of crane? Yes, I
3: believe it was named after a guy named John Crane and the other the other guy we're looking for was named George Halts. Really? Ah, okay. Crane Tech. So I was surprised to see Leo, who was called Leo the Lion, also went to Crane Tech. But what a monster of a player he was at 6'3", 260 pounds, way back when in the early 50s, played throughout the 50s and early 60s, 10 times all pro. And, of course, as you mentioned, Darren, he's in the Hall of Fame. But when he went in the Hall of Fame, a few years later, he had another distinction he became one of those few individuals who is a Hall of Famer in two professional sports. When he was named to the uh, National League Professional Wrestling Association Hall of Fame, he was a oh. ten-time tag team champion uh, in wrestling. So he just tacked that onto his resume, which also included being named as the number one defensive tackle in the first fifty years of the NFL as well as being a member of the NFL's 50th anniversary all-time team. So uh, being named to the National Wrestling Hall of Fame seemed like a a good idea for the, uh, I guess, the things that he accomplished both on the football field and in the wrestling ring. And and one of the neatest things about his career was he played 174 consecutive games. Didn't wear a face mask, didn't like those things uh, for most of his career, uh, Bob St. Clair, another Hall of Famer, once said that Leo Ranks as not only one of the all-time great pro football players, but also one of the ruggedest. I haven't heard the word ruggedest before, but I know exactly <laughs> what he means. I wish we could have seen maybe Leo in action a little more.
1: Yeah, that's uh, – he. That's very uh, Bronco Nagurski, you know, because that wasn't Bronco Nagurski. He's also in both Hall of Fames too, the wrestling and he was the, a wrestler the as well. Yeah, yeah, I think he's in the Hall of Fame for wrestling too, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. I think I heard that maybe on one of your programs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's. I wonder. I bet you he uh, was a follower Nagurski because if he was from Chicago, he's probably uh, you know a Bears or Chicago or Cardinals fan, and probably was familiar with Nagursky. Maybe he it was probably his, was. Yeah, maybe it, Nagurski in inspired him.
3: Yep, and he came in a little after Bronco played his last game in 1943 when he came back to the Bears after being out a couple, three years. So, yeah, I bet bet that looked attractive. And he was telling stories about uh, Vern Gagne, who was uh, well-known in the early days of TV wrestling. Vern Gagne was the hero champion, and he was the one who encouraged Leo the Lion to get into the ring. He thought uh, he could do well. And he managed to wrestle a little bit in college uh, before he became a pro wrestler
1: as well. So uh, Leo was inspired by both uh, pro wrestlers on the football field and in the ring. Wow. Definitely a, a tough individual that you probably don't want to meet on the street and be on his bad side. That's for sure. Exactly. <laughs> well, somebody else that I don't think I'd want to meet on the street and or on the football field and be on his bad side is our next uh, person that are number 42. How about Ronnie Lott wearing that number for 14 seasons?
3: Boy, what a great career he had. And, you know, at the 49ers and of course he played with the Raiders and the Jets at the end, but Boy, leading the league in interceptions on two occasions, 10-time pro bowler, uh, four times he won the Super Bowl, and of course a member of the Hall of Fame's all-80s team. Just a uh, tremendous defensive back, and what a, what a teammate he must have been. All over the field, uh, great numbers uh, in terms of interceptions and tackles, etc. Uh, so uh, Ronnie Lott, really, I think he's going to have to be on our list tonight.
1: I definitely think so. I mean, anybody, how's the story go? He uh, injured his finger uh, making a tackle in in one game. It was like the week before the playoffs, I believe. And uh, he ended up having the tip of his finger removed before the next game so he could play. (laughs) 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 I think it goes goes something like that, but he did end up playing (laughs) the next week in the game. So, so yeah, definitely Ronnie Lott on our list. Good call. Uh, How about uh, Johnny Robinson next?
3: Yeah, Johnny, I didn't know too much about, so I saw his numbers. And, again, another Hall of Famer, as you mentioned, seven times in the Pro Bowl, six times in All-Pro, won the Super Bowl, uh, spent uh, years with Dallas and then with Kansas City where he concluded his career. And, again, a defensive back, uh, also played a little bit of offense in his earliest career as a flanker. So uh, a guy that was dangerous on both sides of the field. Had some great speed, I guess. Uh, not real big, six one two o five, 205, but made the Hall of Fame with those uh, defensive, excuse me, um, yeah, I think mostly his defensive play that he, he had throughout the years in the NFL with his long, long career.
1: Yeah, and I want to point out those the first three years for Dallas were not the Cowboys, they were the Texans, which was Kansas right, City's yes, fran- yes. the franchise of Kansas City Chiefs was the Dallas Texans and the beginning at the AFL. So with uh, Lamar Hunt at their helm. Uh yeah, so he, he is an interesting figure. I I see quite a few of his uh, offensive uh statistics uh on uh, pro football reference. You know, he had six hundred and fifty-eight yards rushing, six touchdowns. Uh caught 77 passes also with nine touchdowns there so he was a good all-around uh dual threat player both sides of the ball he certainly was well wow. so yeah he's interesting so i think he's probably another one maybe with uh, with leo maybe we'll, we'll we'll put a check by them and come back to him how does that sound that would be great okay all right uh well here's one i think we're probably going to agree on uh paul War- warfield a uh, very interesting uh, player. Yeah, it's just
3: another long, long career, Cleveland and Miami, then back to Cleveland, and just a gifted receiver, only six feet tall, had the moves, had the speed, had the hands. And as you look at his number leading the league and receiving touchdowns, I think uh, twice in 68 and 71, numerous times on the Pro Bowl, I believe eight times. And twice won the Super Bowl, in addition to winning the NFL championship before there was a Super Bowl. So, he has got to be on our list. This guy was a magician on the field.
1: Most definitely, he had uh, four times in his career he had double-digit d- uh, receiving touchdowns, which is pretty good in that era of the the '60s and early '70s. It was uh, pretty good. Good in today's era. So, yeah, I agree with you. He is definitely on our list. Paul Warfield. Uh, Charlie Taylor's are another Hall of Famer that uh, we want to talk about here. What do you have on Charlie?
3: Well, Charlie, a great receiver and again a running back. So he did more rushing early in his career. Actually, his rookie year uh, when he was All Pro, rushed for hundred uh, rushed 199 times. So it was heavy duty. Then switched uh, over mostly to receiver. In fact, in '66 and '67. He led the league in receptions with 72 and 70, respectively. So another guy, dangerous, no matter how he had the ball, 6'3", 210, a big big back. Uh, Eight times he made the Pro Bowl and listed on the Hall of Fame's all-1960s team. So dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. Uh, Mostly, excuse me, he was his entire career with Washington. Uh, from 1964 through 1975, missed a year and came
1: back in 77 for one final year on the gridiron. Yeah, I mean, what a player he must have been for uh, that career. He, I mean, he t- touched the ball. He had 649 receptions, 442 rushes in his career. So that's uh, just shy of 1,100 touches for a non-quarterback. That's a significant part of an offense, uh, you know, you're playing there. And uh, he was quite productive, and like you said. so
3: Yeah, if we add up his rushing and receiving for his
1: career, it's uh, closing in on 11,000 yards, which is a great deal of production. I think so. I'm, I'm uh, leaning towards maybe Charlie ought to be on that list right now too. What do you yes, think? Yes, yes. Okay. So there's three on our list so far. All right. Well, our last Hall of Famer is somebody that I think is, uh, you have some information on. How about Mr. Sid Luckman? You may have heard of this guy when he was picked up by the Chicago Bears way back
3: when. George Ellis liked to tell the story about Sid, who was actually a tailback. And he wanted no part of pro football coming out of Columbia in New York. In fact, he uh, Ellis said when we selected Sid in December of uh, 1938, he lacked enthusiasm. He had never been west of Buffalo, New York. And he thought Chicago was a cowboy in Indian country, said George (laughs) Ellis way back when. But uh, later, Ellis said he called him Mr. Quarterback. And Ellis indicated Mr. Quarterback was the finest in his position in the game's history. Luckman never called a wrong play in his career, said George Ellis. But he, he was really one of the first of the great long passers in the league. He led the league in so many different categories, but the fact that he had a he had a transition from a tailback to a quarterback was was kind of difficult and and Luckman said one time since he was a tailback when he switched to quarterback he had the advantage of knowing what the left halfback should do but he said i had a horrible time with the pivots finally i started practicing them at home and every day i would spend hours in my room spinning and pivoting and practicing handling the ball and Pretending I was handing it off. So he went from that horrible time making that transition to, as Hallis said, Mr. Quarterback, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Not only led the league in many, many different categories, but probably best known for that game on December 8, 1940, when the Bears edged the Redskins 73 to 0. And Hallis said that Luckman was flawless in his execution that day, and he's never seen it before and never thought he would see it again. But in 43, Luckman became the first pro quarterback to pass for more than 400 yards in a game, and he blistered the New York Giants with seven touchdown passes in another game. I believe that's still uh, a record. And then later in 1943, in the championship game, went over Washington. He threw five more touchdown passes, so he certainly deserved the uh, exalted praise of Mr. Helles, calling him Mr. Quarterback. So uh, Luckman is one that is going to live down in history not only in Chicago but but elsewhere. And sometimes you forget about how good these guys were. Passing wasn't the main offense back in the 40s. But when he, he left the, the league, he was uh, three times he led the league in passing yards, three times in touchdowns, three times in ratings leader, named to the all-40s decade team. And number 42 was retired by the Chicago Bears. So <laughs> we think uh, Sid Luckman perhaps should be on our list today of the top 10, whoever wore the number 42. Uh,
1: I would say so. You know, it's really interesting when you said that he had uh... – to. Trouble in his own mind with the transition. You know, 1939 was his first year in the league with the Bears, and he was listed as a left halfback. So, 1940s his first year listed as a quarterback, and he made the Pro Bowl that season. So, yeah, amazing. <laughs> so he did work work hard. If it was a tough transition, he sure didn't show it. So yeah, definitely. I, he is on our, our list here. So he is our fourth spot uh, selected here. And that takes us through our Hall of Famers. with. And we've put four of them in our list already. And two of them are on standby that we'll come back to. Uh, now, is there anybody uh, that's not in the Hall of Fame yet that uh, catches your eye?
3: Oh, we had some good ones uh, that wore the number. And, and I'd like to talk a little bit. I don't know Hall of Fame, but you get someone like Butch Bird, and Butch Bird played for Buffalo, uh, starting in '64, and he was a defensive back. He was five times he was all AFL, uh, won two championships, second team on the all-time AFL team. Uh, when he when he retired, he had 40 interceptions in his career, and that's still a Bills record: 40 40 interceptions uh, for his wow. career. So uh, he also, I think, holds the Bills records for interception return yards and also interceptions return for touchdowns. But interesting thing about Butch Bird, he didn't play much in college. He only started four games at Boston University. And he he said he did some things the coach didn't appreciate. Uh, One time, he knew he had a lot of speed and One of the great ball carriers for the other team took off, and Butch decided to give him a 10-yard advantage. And this guy was equally as fast as Butch, and Butch couldn't catch him. And it was kind of obvious to coaches that Butch was showing off a little bit. But he admitted it. And when he was finally drafted by the Bulls, it was a bit of a surprise. But as Butch said later, he said the reason why he was drafted was because by the time they got to him, everybody else the Bills wanted was gone. So there was uh, an interesting guy, though, was, uh, was Butch. But he, he claimed that the reason he was so good on defense, he could count the, the steps of the quarterback. And he, he said one time, in three steps, you can always tell what the quarterback is going to do, whether it's going to be a run or a pass. Of course, if it's play action, that's a different story. But no system is perfect, said Butch. So uh, he would always admit maybe when he didn't have all the answers. But he did have an interesting comment about O.J. Simpson, who, after his football career, of course, has been in the headlines so much. But back in 1970, he said that O.J. Simpson, who was his teammate, is a great runner, but he's going to have to decide whether he wants to be flying to Chicago and Detroit all the time to be on television or play football. You have to dedicate yourself to the game. I think he will be a much better player this year once he dedicates himself a little more. So that was, it was Butch Beard Hall of Fame. I don't know, but maybe some uh, consideration for being our top 10 list tonight with those five all, all all league honors that he earned during his career, which only lasted from 64 through 71, by the way.
1: Yeah, so would would uh didn't Buffalo win the championship would been his rookie year in his second year did they win it 64 65 they trying to remember well 64 they did yes yes so I think 64. it was two years in a row I think it was 64 and 65 so it's his yeah. rookie year in his second year so what a way to mm-hmm. come into pro football yes <laughs> exactly and uh the other interesting thing is I was reminding me when you were saying with Buffalo they had uh, a really good defensive back just a few years ago uh was it uh Jarius bird or Jairus bird. Oh, right. Uh, real yeah. good. Uh, I think so. It spelled exactly the same last name, the same way. So interesting. Buffalo had two great uh, DBs with that, that same last name mm-hmm. name. Yeah. yeah but Butch is definitely one. I think we should consider later on here and put a mark by his name to come back and yeah. check on him. So uh, who would you like to talk about next year? We have two
3: or three running backs, which had careers shortened for whatever reason, and all were really good. I'm going to start with uh, Chuck Muncie. Chuck, okay. of course, made his name with New Orleans, um, three-time All-Pro, led the NFL in touchdowns with uh, 19 in 1981, and that tied the NFL rushing record at the time uh, for one season. He was, and here's a little piece of trivia, the first Saints player ever to be named to the Pro Bowl. Ah. And he was one of the first NFL players ever to wear glasses during the game. But he had some issues off the field. Uh, Interesting family. He spelled his name Chuck Muncie, M-U-N-C-I-E. He had... Three brothers who also played professional football under the name Muncie, M-U-N-S-E-Y. And they said their father used different last names for whatever reason. But um, it's interesting. It would have four four brothers from one family that would play some form or another of professional football. So uh, he was one of the backs I wanted to chat about. The other was uh, John Brockington who uh, had a great, great, although short career with Green Bay, three times All-Pro. He was the 1971 NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. And he was the the first player in the NFL to uh, gain 1,000 yards in each of his first three seasons, which is interesting.
1: Yes, it is. So uh,
3: Brockington would be a good one, and he was a punishing runner. I found a couple of quotes I'd like to share that just kind of tells how difficult it was for him to be brought down. And this came from the Detroit Free Press in 1977, talking about Brockington. They said, another time, rambling like a mighty freight train rolling downhill, he churned over the Miami Dolphins' Jake Scott and knocked him into another world. Scott did not return for 10 scary minutes. He did much the same to the Denver Broncos, George Huey, lifting a knee so violently that left Huey with half a mouthful of teeth on the field and nursed a fractured jaw for months afterward. So um, Brockington was a punishing runner. Um, when he, when he ended his career kind of quickly and he, he, he passed away early in life, but he, um, he might be a consideration for our top 10 because of how tough and how strong he was for those first three years, but his production fell off and some said that maybe he got a little weary of being such a punishing runner because he had to give as well as to take.
1: Yeah. That's uh definitely takes a lot out of you when you run into a, a brick wall, a bunch of times, you know, some of those linebackers, it's, uh, some hard hitting
3: We I mean, another big, big back. Um, well, not big a small back named Mac Heron, five foot five and 170 pounds. played uh, played in Canada first with Winnipeg from 70 to 72 and then came back uh, to the league or went to the NFL in 73. He had some some decent years as a running back and as a receiver. He set an NFL record in 94 for all purpose yards with 24, 44, but uh, and then 12, t- 12 touchdowns in 1974, which were the third best in the, in the NFC at the time. So he was uh, a, a quick back, five foot five. Don't see much of someone that size anymore, but he had off, off the field problems, which uh, pretty much doomed his career in 1975. And uh, Mac again was. Uh, was one who passed away a little earlier than he should have, but I don't know if he will make our top 10, but I, you don't find too many backs that are five foot five in the NFL anymore.
1: Oh, that that's definitely for sure. Uh, Interesting. Some stories you got there on those, uh, I was sitting here thinking about another running back that's on our list here, too. How about uh, Chris Warren? Uh, He played uh, back in the era of the 1990 to 2000, had 11 seasons, Uh, started off with the Seattle Seahawks, played a couple years with Dallas and uh, finished up his career with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, I think, for the last half a season he played. But he ended up having 7,600 yards, just under uh, shy of 7,700 yards, 52 touchdowns uh, during his career and was uh, three times in the Pro Bowl. So he had another one of those backs that were 42 that were an interesting character to look at.
3: And he had an interesting backstory. He came out of a really small division three school named Ferrum, F-E-R-R-U-M. And when he was drafted, it was, it was quite a surprise. So he lasted the first two years in the league, got only 17 rushes in those first two. And then he exploded with four straight thousand yard years. So, which is amazing, uh, I thought, and kept that up and never hit a thousand again. But as you said, almost 8,000 yards rushing in his career so over those years.
1: Yeah, I think that when you hit that number of getting like over 6,500 or 7,000 yards in the NFL as a running back, because their careers are so short. I mean, what's the average? Uh, expectancy of a running back in the NFL, maybe three yes. and a half years. That's, mm-hmm. So when you hit those numbers like that, that's significant. You know, it's not, uh, you know, Emmett Smith, Walter Payton numbers, but it, it's a significant <laughs> number. So I think maybe we'll take a look at, at him again uh, before this uh, episode is over. Uh, who else do you have that you'd like to talk about?
3: I have a, a couple of guys. I always want to know how Booby Clark got his next name. And yeah. I want to learn more about Ricky Bell. And Ricky oh. Bell, another interesting story. Number one pick in the 1977 draft uh, by Tampa. He is a member of the College Football Hall of Fame, but he passed away because of heart failure at the age of 29. Hmm. Uh, had one monster year in 79 for Tampa when he gained uh, 1,263 yards. Here's another good trivia question for you that uh, – Ricky Bell is the brother of Archie Bell of Archie Bell and the Drells, uh, a pop group in the late '60s, early '70s, and so I thought that was kind of an interesting as well. So, uh, Ricky Bell, the brother of Archie Bell, unfortunately again we lost him way too early uh, back in 1984. Yeah. And another, I want to mention, find out how Booby Clark got his
1: nickname. Remember, this is a a family show now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Another good player, he was the AFL Rookie of the Year and AFC Rookie of the Year in 1973. Um, He was a rare case of a football player being so rough that during his rookie year of 1973, he hit someone so hard that he got sued for it. And I wasn't able to find out if the court case was ever settled. But he does have a Booby Clark Park named for him down in Jacksonville, Florida. He left us at the age of 37. But he had some nice numbers, over 3,000 yards um, rushing in his career. But now the big question, how did he get his nickname? So in 1973, he was asked that some lineup cards list him as Booby Clark, b-o-o-b-y but he spells it booby b-o-o-b-i-e and he said his full name is charles booby clark and so the writer asked him how'd you get the nickname and booby said i don't know (laughs) i got the nickname as a kid i liked it so i kept it but i don't know so there you have it. All those who are wondering how he got that nickname.
1: Well, now, now we know. So tomorrow around the water cooler, we'll all have a much better conversation with our, our coworkers.
3: <laughs> and I failed in really finding out because Booby himself doesn't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that might be one of those mysteries we may never know. <laughs> uh, you said you had a couple more to talk about. Who, who else do you have on your list?
3: Yeah, we had uh, Gerald Riggs, uh, another running back. Had a great career with Atlanta and Washington. Won the Super Bowl twenty-six, three times Pro Bowler, and uh, led the NFL in rushing attempts. In I think it was nineteen eighty-five with three hundred ninety-seven. He gained seventeen hundred and nineteen yards that year. Huh. And he has an interesting NFL record. Maybe it's not a record, but an entitlement that. He was the only 1,000-yard rusher throughout the 1980s that did not have a fumble during that season. Wow. uh, Two of his sons that played in the NFL. So, uh, again, career numbers were were pretty good, though. He rushed for over 8,000 yards during his career. Might be an outside chance to get on our top 10 tonight, but uh, he's got some interesting statistics there. Won a Super Bowl, and we said three times he was on the Pro Bowl.
1: Yeah. That's got some real impressive numbers. I didn't never realize. I mean, I remember him playing. I didn't realize he had that many yards and touchdowns. That's uh, yeah, that's substantial. Hmm. That's hitting that uh, magic level I talked about earlier. That's right. Yeah. So uh, how about uh, Darren Sharper? I don't know if you've, uh, he he wore that number for 14 seasons and he was quite the ball player himself. You know, Defensive back, uh, most famously of uh, the Green Bay Packers, Minnesota Vikings for four seasons, uh, two years with New Orleans. And, you know, he was a. I remember him as a real good hard hitter. 63 interceptions during his career, 11 scores off of those interceptions. So he w- knew how to uh, pick the ball off and knew what to do with it when he got it in his hands. A real nice player.
3: And, and I understand that he's – um Still tied for the NFL all-time record for defensive touchdowns. I think he had a couple of fumble returns, too. So he had 13 total, maybe. Um, uh,
1: let's see. Yeah, looks like yeah, he two, did. Yeah, two touchdowns off of fumbles. Wow, mm-hmm. good call. And,
3: of course, five times All-Pro. Uh, he was two times first-team All-Pro, which is very impressive. Unfortunately, his career was knocked off the tracks, Um And he had some off-field problems, and he's currently incarcerated, unfortunately. But uh, there's a question about him because his numbers were fairly spectacular with the interception yardage. As you said, three times he led the league, and yards returned off of interceptions. Uh, Should he be considered for the Pro Football Hall of Fame? And there's pros and cons about that, and there has been some discussion. Well, we should be judging what he did on the field, but... Uh, he's had some uh, very difficult challenges staying out of, out of incarceration the last decade or
1: something. Anytime you have a player and I can't know, I don't know if any other player that had nine interceptions in a season, three times in his career, that's pretty impressive. And they weren't all at one point in his career. He did it in his fourth season, uh, his uh, eighth season, and the second to last season that he played, which is, you Mm -hmm. know, 12 years in the league. That's impressive. It was,
3: yeah. It spread him out like that. And, of course, when Green Bay uh, s- sent him away, the Chicago Bears fans were very grateful, of course, that he was no longer
1: in the backfield. So where's he going? Minnesota.
3: They'll still see him. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah. I, I, You know, I would still put him under consideration because that's that's yeah. pretty substantial. And he wore the, the number for 14 seasons. I think that's uh, as long as anybody we've talked about. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, Warfield and uh, Charlie Taylor and Ronnie Lott each worked for fourteen seasons, also. But yeah, that's substantial. Okay, uh, do you have any other players you'd like to talk about before we deliberate into our top ten?
3: Yeah, a couple other guys that maybe had great nicknames. Okay.
1: Better <laughs> <Yeah>. than Booby.
3: <laughs> Booby was the best, and <laughs> we don't know how we got it. Uh, one was John Gilliam, called Patchy. Oh mm, yeah. Um, played for New Orleans, played for the Cardinals in St. Louis, the Vikings, Atlanta during his career, four times a pro bowler, extremely fast. I think in college he was uh, timed at 9.5, which wasn't that far off the world record at the time, made four pro bowls. And um, he, he made history for the Saints because he scored the first touchdown for the team in their franchise history. Back in 1967, the game, uh, he took the opening kickoff back 94 yards for a touchdown. Uh, so we won a Super Bowl. And uh, in in one of the Super Bowl appearances, our friend uh, Chris Willis at NFL Films might appreciate this, but apparently uh, Pat Gilliam ran over Steve Sable during the game. and oh, Hopefully boy. he was not hurt at the time, but that was <laughs> one of the things that we, we learned about uh, John Gilliam. And another back who uh, stayed in in the league as a coach for the Steelers was uh, Dick Hoke. And he was a pro bowler in 68 and college MVP of the 61 Liberty Bowl. And he was um, also the fourth best rusher for the Steelers when he retired. He had uh, 3,965 yards after playing his entire career with the Steelers. And uh, Hall of Fame quarterback Bobby Lane called him the most perfect player in my time. So that was Dick. And then he went on and uh, coached high school and came back as the line coach, or excuse me, not the line coach, running backs and receiver coach for the Steelers. Not sure if he'll make our top 10 list, but uh, kind of a neat football career that he had.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, going back to John Gilliam, I wonder, uh, since it's about the right era, would Joe Gilliam be any relation to him? Do you know Oh, that'd be a good thing for us to check out. Yeah. Because Joe Gilliam was uh, quarterbacking in the NFL probably early 70s. Yes. I remember. So might be a younger brother or something possibly. Could be, yeah. If so, a very talented family. Uh, Okay. Um, I'm going down through my list. Um, I am not seeing. uh, Let's see here. How about uh, Dave uh, Elmendorf? Another yeah. defensive back, you know, I don't know that he'll make the list, but he's worth talking about. You know, he had 27 interceptions in his career, two taken back for touchdowns, played with the Rams his entire career, 1971 to 1979. So that whole uh, decade of the 70s, he he filled in there. It's strong safety and free safety for them. Um, you know, got the – I'm not sure. Did he get to play in that Super Bowl against the Steelers? Probably not. He probably just missed it by one year. Yeah. It was 1980. Yeah. He was a
3: a great baseball player, too. He was drafted by the New York Yankees in 1971 as well, Oh, but decided to stick with football, made the all-rookie team that year, and as you said, spent his entire nine-year career with the Rams and made the all-pro team three times, but yeah, he was uh, something, a great defender with all those interceptions he compiled over his career.
1: Yeah, the Rams had a great defense during that era he played in. You know, they had, the Young Bloods were were out there and some other great stars. So they were tough. Okay. Uh, are we ready to uh, try to knock our numbers down here to 10? Yeah, we could do that. I had one more that might make oh, it okay. 10. And oh,
2: this sorry. is
3: a defensive back. I always look for kickers. I couldn't find a kicker. <laughs> I probably use somewhere beneath this long list we have, but uh, Don Webb. Who uh, played for Boston in the old AFL, beginning in '61? Made All-Pro once. He was on the. What was interesting about him as a defensive back that he was on the Patriots All 1960s team, even though he missed the '63 season with a bad knee. So uh, another of those guys we don't hear about too often came out of Iowa State. And uh, drafted by the Boston Patriots in 61. But yeah, that's kind of the ones that I, I had that might be under consideration for our top 10 tonight.
1: Okay. but uh, well, just to review, uh, we have four that we said are in our top 10. And that is Ronnie Lott, Paul Warfield, Charlie Taylor, And Sid Luckman, who's that's who we put on the list so far. Uh, Some folks that we said we wanted to come back and talk about. Two of them were our Hall of Famers uh, Johnny Robinson and Leo Nomenalini, Darren Sharper, uh, Butch Bird, Chuck Muncie, John Brockington, Mac Heron, uh, Chris Warren, John Gilliam, uh, Gerald Riggs, and Dick Coke is uh, who I had marked down. Hopefully, I got everybody.
3: I'm and looking I'm, at Brockington. What do you think about John Brockington?
1: Uh, yeah, I have no problem with we put Brockington on there. Yeah. And and I'm I'm liking uh, what you told me about uh, Gerald Riggs. Those numbers are still stuck in my head here. You know, what was that over yeah. eight thousand yards rushing and sixty some touchdowns? I I think maybe he deserves to be on there also. What do you and think? he wore that number 42 proudly for seven years. Okay, so we'll put him as our sixth uh, one on our list. And then a uh, got some uh, really interesting po- folks to talk about. I'm, I'm really thinking maybe the Hall of Famer, uh, Johnny Robinson wearing that number for 12 seasons. Yeah. Uh, he probably deserves to be on there, especially being recognized by the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So that takes us to seven and
3: yeah, Leo, the lion, he's in the hall of fame, but he only wore 42 for two seasons. So, um,
1: yeah, that's, that's what's sort of sticking, sticking with me a little bit here, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that won't change my mind because I'm yeah, yeah, some of these other folks here. I mean, a sharper is definitely an interesting one to think about. Yes. Um, uh, Dick, you know, Dick Hokes definitely one to think about. Um, and Chris Warren, didn't we, he was one other one, I think. Let me go back and review what we had on him. Yeah. He had uh, uh, just, he was the one that was just shy of 7,700 yards rushing. So he's another one that I would. Yeah. I, did, I do like Chris Warren for our list. I think. Okay. Let's put Chris Warren on as our, our seventh. I'm sorry. Our eighth, eighth person. Lost track of my numbers. Oh, so we need more. These are
3: tough decisions now.
1: Right. Uh let's see, Muncie. I know we talked about him. So he's uh 74 touchdowns by Muncie. That's uh definitely an attractive uh mm-hmm. feature to have on that top 10 list. That's that's nothing to shake a stick at. What, what do you think about Muncie? I like
3: Muncie. Yeah, I do. Okay, yeah,
1: all right, so that's nine and oh man we're at nine already yeah we're at nine already you
3: know this is that interesting one we talked about with uh Darren Sharper
1: yeah Um, that's that's who I keep going back to uh, Uh, based on
3: on the on the field stuff and all the years he wore it and played
1: yeah, he, he was a substantial player. I think uh he deserves to be on there. That's probably why they don't let me vote at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, he's five times all pro too. So uh we, we have we have other players that are in the Hall of Fame and uh, great players that were not choir boys, you know. So it's
3: yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I all right. I'm I'm down with putting uh, Darren Sharper down as our tenth spot. You're right, I think it's a good list there, Darren. Very good. I, I do too. Let, let me review it for everybody again. So we have Ronnie Lot, Johnny Robinson, Paul Warfield, Charlie Taylor, Sid Luckman, Darren Sharper, Chuck Muncie, John Brockington, Chris Warren, and Gerald Riggs. Those are our ten. Very good. Very yeah, good. that's I that's like a it. that's a great lineup there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you very much again. That was. Uh, it's always a pleasure doing that. Now, you had uh, this past week here listening, you had uh, when football was football episode out and you talked about that very first uh, NFL draft and it was uh and for listeners that haven't uh, heard that, make sure you go to sportshistorynetwork.com and uh, look at that when football was football the latest episode on the the first draft that Joe did. And I don't know if you had any uh, comments on that or not. Cause we, it is a draft week here coming up in the NFL. That's
3: right. Yeah. And, but it was a, it was a fun topic to uh, find a guy who was the most famous football player in college at the time and couldn't make it work to play pro football, but off the field, he became a millionaire and very successful in business. But there was, I found a quote about him because he was the not only the first draft choice of the NFL, but also the first Heisman Trophy winner. It had a different name for a year or so. And there was a photo of him that looks like the Heisman Trophy. And no one's ever officially said it was or wasn't him, but I found a quote where he gives his opinion. So it's a, I think, a fun little listen and uh, always welcome everyone to check out when football was football on the sports history network.
1: Yeah, definitely. Now, what do you have uh, that we can look forward to a a little tease for one of your upcoming programs on when football is football?
3: Well, we have one coming up in a couple of weeks, which we're going to get away from talking about players and teams and talk about fans. And there were three fans. I shouldn't say three. There was a whole group. I think there were seven buddies Most of them were war veterans from World War II, who, in I think it was 1951 or so, made the trip from the south side of Chicago to cheer on their beloved Chicago Cardinals against those dastardly Chicago Bears. (laughs) And it tells a story about what happened to them at the game and something they brought home that is still in the family all these years later. So it's kind of a fun story about how these friends outfox George Halas.
1: Oh, that sounds like an interesting one. We'll have to stay tuned for that one. So that'll be out, uh, uh, let's see, the second week of May then, correct? Yeah, a couple more weeks, I think. Yeah, like okay. uh, second week, yep. Mm-hmm. Second, second Monday in May. So we'll look forward yes. to that on the sportshistorynetwork.com. So, uh, Joe, I, uh, I don't know if you have any more updates on, I know you're, you're writing another book. I don't know if you have anything you can tell us about that or...
3: Yeah, the book's uh, pretty exciting. We're going back and, and looking at the early history of the Chicago Bears and the Chicago Cardinals and the NFL. And kind of the goal, maybe not the goal, the objective is to answer questions that have never been answered before about those early years. We don't have a whole lot to go on. Uh, we have, besides newspapers, but personal interviews and and other things of that type of, of nature. For example, George Hallis' autobiography. and. Right. Sometimes you find out things that were recalled 50 years after the fact weren't quite accurate. So we're excited about that book and we're continuing to work on it. Almost wrapped it up now. So,
1: Well, great. That's another one to look forward to. Ah, so you got yes, some exciting things going on in your life and uh, we're going to be excited hearing from you and, and reading them very soon. So that's great. No, well, thank you. Well, I appreciate it, partner. i coming on again and helping us through this thing. You have some great, some, uh, some great insight and stories uh, on these uh, great players in football history. And I'm really proud that uh, to have you on and uh, to share this opportunity with you each uh, each week. And now it seems like. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I appreciate it more than you can imagine. It's always, it's fun to look into some of these players. We don't know a whole lot about, and then have that challenge of picking a top 10 for that uniform number. And so hopefully, uh, yes, I, hopefully it worked out. Okay. And, we can someone maybe will know why booby is named booby sometime but we'll work
1: on it (laughs) yeah okay and i don't want to fail to mention that if you want to uh hear joe talk in person uh the pro football research association is having him as a guest speaker at their convention which will be uh the last weekend in june and i believe you're talking on friday night at the pro football hall of fame
3: that's right yeah friday night uh probably be the kickoff with the the second presentation that evening. So there'll be a panel talking about the years before the NFL get organized. And then some uh, of us will be talking about the NFL's first teams. So again, it should be fun. Uh, the researchers and authors. And so everything is always one. The, the presentations are fantastic for those of us who are interested in pro football, even if you're not just to, to hear the research and the history that some of these, these folks have, uh, bring with them to the table
1: at the, uh, the convention for the PFRA. So I'm certainly looking forward to it. We're only a couple months out. Uh, well, just like uh, John Gilliam took that first kickoff for the, the Saints all the way back for a touchdown, we're expecting you to take the ball all the way on the opening kickoff <laughs> for the PFRA uh, convention for 2021 all the way. We will do our best, Darren. Thank you. <laughs> it started off with a bang. Thanks a lot, Joe. Appreciate it. Thank you. Speaking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast.
2: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. It was just another ordinary day in the
0: offices of the Pittsburgh Guardian newspaper circa 1924. But for Marla Delft, assistant editor, everything was about to change. For she was about to discover the awesome attractiveness of Row 1 brand retro sports paraphernalia items thanks to Orville Mulligan, sports writer. And there it is.
3: Wow, Orville, that's really the bee's knees.
0: Isn't it just? A poster-sized replica of the actual 1909 World Series program cover.
3: I can see that. But where did you get it? And where'd you get it framed?
0: I ordered it from the Row 1 website, where over 6,000 items of sports memorabilia from the 1880s to the 1990s are available for reproduction in multiple sizes and in several different materials, with over a dozen styles of frame to choose from for prints like this. Well, I'm sure Mr. Delft would love to put up more of these in the office. But I'm equally as sure they're beyond this newspaper's budget. (laughs) Not at all, my dear Marla. See for yourself. Go to SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash Row 1.
1: SportsHistoryNetwork.com
3: slash Row 1. Oh my, these are good
0: prices.
3: Oh, and look at this stuff. Oklahoma-Nebraska football, college basketball art, Michael Jordan items.
0: And so Retro it was sports sports that Marla Delft discovered words? the splendiferous magic of Row 1 sports memorabilia, arts, and you can, too, by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. That's R-O-W number one today for access to the full Row One catalog of gallery prints and gifts like T-shirts, long-sleeve shirts, telephone cases, coffee mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Act today for a 15% discount off all prints with coupon code SHN15 and 20% off all other items with coupon code shn 20 at checkout and keep your dial locked to the sports history network for the exciting chronicles of the 1920 sports world in orville mulligan sports writer coming soon
2: hey there sports history fan this is arnie chapman aka the football history dude and i wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the sports history network